This is Esther Averam, and I want to make a special appeal before Giving Tuesday to all of those who listen to and appreciate the show, but aren't yet supporters of the show to please go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash on the ground show and become an annual or monthly giver to the show for as little as $3 a month or annually for less than $3 a month. We are a totally independent show from Washington, D.C., and we rely on your contributions not only to produce the show, but also for your encouragement. So you can go to patreon.com forward slash on the ground show, or you can go to the website on the ground show.org and click on donate to see all ways to give, including end of the year donations. And we support all of that and appreciate all of that. All donations are fully tax deductible. Okay, peace. Here we go. From Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. On this show, The Real Path to Peace in Ukraine, a conference sponsored by the People's Forum and the Answer Coalition this month in New York City, was the kickoff of a new anti-war movement in the United States. People from all walks of life are opposing the U.S.-NATO proxy war against Russia in Ukraine, especially as the Zelensky regime shows again its dangerous desperation. Instead of telling the truth, they went out of their way to try to create the basis by which Article 5 of NATO would be invoked, in which NATO would then go into Ukraine and fight Russia, and then we would be in a nuclear conflict. Deliberately. On this show, we will feature MC for the program, activist Manolo de los Santos, who will introduce two of the speakers, journalist, author, and activist Eugene Perrier, and Green Party candidate for the President of the United States, Dr. Jill Stein. The clock is ticking, and we don't have much time, so we really need to use every means at our disposal. Part of that is being out in the street. Part of that is also just in our conversations, talking to our friends and neighbors in our communities. We welcome everyone to the People's Forum. Our space is a movement incubator, a space where we encourage, build, and educate on the need for anti-imperialism and anti-capitalism in our times. We work with movements and people's organizations in the United States and all over the world to forward this agenda, a people's agenda for peace, justice, and dignity in our lifetimes. We're honored. We're honored to convene this momentous meeting together with the Answer Coalition. Because the time is now to say no to this war. The U.S. empire, its friends and allies in NATO, have been manufacturing a consent. They think that with $91 billion, countless flags, warmongering, they can convince all of the planet to agree with their latest proxy war. But we say, no. we say, no. 
We say no. Not only the people in this room are saying no. Is the mass sentiment of the majority of the people around the world, in Africa, in Asia, in Latin America, who also say no to this war. You don't have to be Ukrainian or Russian to call for peace. You have to be willing to be a human being. As people who collectively inhabit this planet, which we want to protect, not for ourselves, but for our children and our grandchildren and all those who inhabit it, we are saying no to NATO expansion. We're saying no to this proxy war. We're saying no to the US government's policy of bleeding Russia through the lives of countless Ukrainians. We are not going to wait for nuclear war. We are not going to wait for global famine. We are not going to wait for a further energy crisis. Why? Because we understand very clearly, we see very clearly that the only group of people who benefit from this war, the only people who benefit from there not being peace negotiations continue to be the elites in Washington. We will not allow them to sacrifice either the Ukrainian or Russian peoples, or better yet, we will not allow them to sacrifice the planet for their new war of greed. We are beyond honored. I am so excited to have Jill Stein in the house. Because Jill Stein is, I mean, I don't even know if I can call her a politician because I, I, I don't want to insult her name. <laughs> but she has been someone who has, in multiple political spaces, in debates, in the political arena, has demonstrated a new type of politics, a different type of politics. In her time, she's been twice presidential candidate for the Green Party in the United States. And quite often, I would say she's used to it now. She is a lone voice for peace. She's often a lone voice for what is rational for what is just. Jill Stein, we're honored to have you here. Uh, I'm so honored to be here. I, I feel speechless from having heard my own thoughts. I don't know if you're all feeling this too, but it's like this is such a reality check here that's going on. It's really great to see that we are not crazy. Yeah. <laughs> we really are telling the truth. We really are pointing the way forward. For those whose hair is my color, we've been through this many times. We've seen this certainly since Vietnam. We really cut our teeth on what it means to fight manufactured consent. It is not easy when you are facing wall-to-wall saturation propaganda 
24-7. We know what that's about. But we also, and you know, and we went through this certainly in Iraq, big time, weapons of mass destruction that weren't there, Saddam Hussein's, you know, horrific abuses, the yellow cake that also wasn't, I mean, all these myths one after the other. So for those of us who've been through this many times, some of us at least have really learned to approach the prevailing propaganda with a lot of skepticism. You have to assume it's not true until proven otherwise, instead of just accepting being powerless, being hopeless, and entrusting our fearless political leaders and their security state to direct us forward. We've seen where that goes. And in many ways right now, we are sort of facing the logical conclusion of a political and economic system, which is run whole hog for the benefit of the elites. It's no exaggeration to say that this is whatever you want to call it, end-stage capitalism, end-stage empire, the colonialist, white supremacist, male supremacy project, you know, whatever you want to call it, this is it. This is where it goes. This is unacceptable, unsustainable, unsurvivable. And the chickens have come home to roost here, back here in the seat of the empire. The chickens have really come home to roost in the struggles of the everyday American people, working people, and the poor who are growing by the millions in the U.S. and around the world. We see a few billionaires. We see the expansion of the billionaire class. They've added some, I don't know, hundreds to their ranks, while hundreds of millions have joined the ranks of poverty, severe and abysmal poverty. So, you know, this system just doesn't last. And we are all in the crossfire. It's not just the people of Ukraine who are being set up to the last person, to the last man, woman, and child. Their lives are being expended. We are all a part of this vast exercise of unaccountable and abusive power on the part of economic and political elites. And we are saying no more. The buck stops. And, and it's just music to my ears to hear what uh, everybody has been saying here. I want to inject, what should I say, confidence and power into our position. As Alice Walker has said, and others before her, the biggest way people give up power is by not knowing we have it to start with. It's really amazing how much power we have, even on this issue. Gallup has been doing monthly polls where they ask people, what is the most critical issue? What is the most important issue to you? If you look at Congress, you'd think, well, obviously the most important issue is Ukraine. 
It is weapons sales and production. It is the military-industrial complex. That's what Democrats and Republicans agree on. That is their funding priority, not funds to expand the child tax credit, not funds for health care as a human right when 70,000 people every year are dying from lack of health insurance. And that's on top of the COVID deaths where one out of every three we're linked to a lack of health insurance. It's not the housing emergency that is just exploding before our very eyes. There's something like 11 million people right now who are facing potential imminent eviction. And that is certainly growing. Those figures are old because what is being hit by inflation, it's not only energy costs and food costs, it's also housing, big time. So we're not funding that. No, to look at Congress, what we have to fund, and this is very clear and very explicit, what we have to fund are a new generation of nuclear weapons, are more tanks for Ukraine. It's more armaments. That's their number one priority. But to look at this Gallup poll, what you see actually is that the issues that people rate as number one are economic issues. It's economic security, it's inflation, it's the cost of living, it's 60-some percent of people who are living paycheck to paycheck. You know, it's the, econ it's the growing economic desperation which is at the top. And next to that, it is the, what should we say, it's the betrayal of our governing officials. <laughs> That's actually like the number two official. That's the number two rank, is how outrageous we are being governed and how abusively we are being governed. That's the number two issue. So you don't hear about this on MSNBC. You're not hearing about what's important to people. You're just hearing kind of the, the Defense Department talking points. That's what's important to them. But where does Ukraine and Russia rank? Well, it's about 1% of people who say that this is the leading and key issue. So that should really tell us something. And those of us, you know, who've been through this before, who watch how the military industrial media complex really comes on, you know, with all guns blazing, and we're supposed to be accepting their version of reality, which is just totally turned on its head, that begins to crack and that fades right away. We can smell a rat from the very beginning. This has been a rat from the beginning. And this one is falling apart, I must say, much faster than the other uh, propaganda efforts have really fallen apart. And as Noam Chomsky was saying, you know, to actually look at real deep polling across the world or even in the EU, there is not support for this war. There's much greater support for actually uh, negotiations and a peaceful settlement ASAP. So we should have, you know, all the confidence and faith in our heartfelt intuitions. Above all, we are human beings here and we are listening to our hearts and we are listening to the hearts of our fellow humans, regardless of what side of any border they happen to live on. We know really what the story is. And the story is that all of us are in the crosshairs right now. We're all in the crosshairs. I want to expand on that just a little bit because no doubt we are going to be having this conversation at our Thanksgiving dinners. And we're all not going to be on the same side if your family is out like mine. And we have a job to do. No pressure, but we have a collective responsibility to remember and to tell the truth and to share 
truth and justice with the people we are in community with and in family with. And that will be the leading edge of the change, just like being out in the street will be the leading edge of change. Really using all of the tools uh, at our disposal to throw the bums out from elected office. That will be part of the change that also needs to happen. But I want to talk a little bit about how this is hurting us. We at the center of the empire who are supposed to be like all for this. I want to just say a few things about the many ways that this is hurting. You may be familiar with this. This is just the diagram of our budget, the congressional budget. In a glance, picture tells a thousand words here. You see the military budget. This was, I think, one or two years ago where it was a mere $752 billion. It's now actually quite a bit more, 840 Did I say seven? It's 840 So it's actually growing by leaps and bounds. And this doesn't even tell the whole story because lots of pieces are kind of buried where you won't see them, like nuclear weapons development. Where is that? That is in energy and the environment. Why? Because it's destroying the environment. Maybe that's why they're putting it there. I don't know. But... There are tens of billions of dollars that are buried there. There's Homeland Security. There's the VA. Why do we have all these health issues to deal with for our veterans who've been put on the front lines, you know, having very little choice in the matter? That, too, is a sequela of these wars. So it's actually a trillion dollars a year. It's already a trillion dollars a year. It's getting bigger. And it's more like two-thirds of the budget now. It's not a mere 50%. It's, it's way more than that. And you can see, what does that leave? It just leaves a pittance for everything else. And this is just, again, the money behind the madness. This goes a long way to say why it is that all these crazy things are happening. They are being funded. Next slide. So you'll see on the bottom left, endless war is getting about a trillion a year. Social programs, if you add them all up, they're getting about half that amount. And any one department is just getting a tiny a, a pittance. That is not okay. It's not okay that it's half as much as military funding. And then the climate collapse that we hear so much lip service to from the Democratic Party in particular, what is it actually doing about that climate crisis? Well, now it has completely gone into reverse gear on the climate crisis because of the war. As previous speakers alluded to, that is one of the biggest victims of the war is that it provides a perfect excuse not only for war profiteering, but also for fossil fuel uh, profiteering. And it becomes an opportunity not only to use more fuel, because right we have to drop a lot of bombs and fly a lot of airplanes and do all that stuff, but also, we have to build new fossil fuel depots, and we have the sanctions, really, to thank for this. Most of the disruption of energy supplies around the world is not due to the war. It's mostly due to U.S. sanctions. So we don't even have to wait to stop the war. We could just end the sanctions right now, and then guess what? Most of the hunger crisis and most of the fuel crisis goes away like that. We have the power to do that. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait. And the 350-some million people now who are facing food insecurity, 50 million of them who are facing acute starvation 
That doesn't have to be the case. With the flick of a pen, the food and the fuel could begin to flow again, even before we've gone through the difficult process of negotiating a settlement we could have a ceasefire also with the flick of a pen. So this is a war of choice. This is a catastrophe of choice. And it's not just Putin's invasion. Putin's invasion was the latest response to a buildup and an escalation of mutual attacks that have been going on at least since 2014 with the U.S. support for the coup in the Maidan where the right wing and Nazis had a very major role to play because they put their hands around the throat of everybody involved and they don't take no for an answer. You may remember that Zelensky who now seems really kind of over the edge, he was elected on a peace platform. He was elected to implement the peace accords, the Minsk peace accords. So that's where we should be. That is within our reach, and that is what we should be pushing for uh, even right now. You are listening to former Green Party candidate for President of the United States, Dr. Jill Stein, speaking at the conference, The Real Path to Peace in Ukraine. This is On the Ground. Now back to the conference. The crisis of the war and the climate is not separate from the crisis of justice. And I just want to not leave that out here. And this chart, I want to just take a minute to explain it because it says so much about what's going on. And what you see here going from left to right is wealth, total wealth in the U.S. So it's going from 1989 up to almost 2020. You see wealth is growing. But where is it growing? It's growing in that blue section, which is the top 10%, and the piece above the little red line is the top 1%. So it's mainly the top 1% that is making out like bandits here. What's happening to the lower 50%? Well, the lower 50% is the brown line at the very bottom, if you can even see it. That is 2% of our wealth is distributed among the entire half of the population, which is making do with this. This, in my mind, goes a long way to explain why we are in the mess we are in. Not only because everyday people are really being starved to death, literally, but also because power is concentrated, increasingly concentrated into the hands of a very few who purchase their politicians as usual, and between the economic and political elites, they keep generating policy to just make this worse. So that's just to include in our discussion, you know, that we have a crisis of war, we have a crisis of climate, and we have a crisis of justice. We don't solve any of them without solving all of them.
And then I will try to wrap up because I could keep going all day here. It's just, it's really wonderful to have you all here doing what you're doing. I want all of us to help all of us lead the charge on this because, again, no pressure, but it really is up to us. We're here because we get it. And as has been said here several times today, the clock is ticking and we don't have much time. So we really need to use every means at our disposal. Part of that is being out in the street. Part of that is also just in our conversations, talking to our friends and neighbors in our communities. So what is the cost of militarism? It's not only those dollars that we've been talking about. It's also that when you superpower the military, it does really crazy things. Our military is completely off the charts. It's those 800 bases that we have around the world when the rest of the world has 30 of those bases all put together. It's the cost of our budget. It is 68 coups and regime change operations that have been instigated by the U.S. Uh, since the Second World War. According to the Congressional Research Service, we have intervened with our military 251 times in the past 30 years. So you get a military that's doing crazy things, and we have the commitment to nuclear weapons. And in this recent nuclear posture review, in spite of Joe Biden's promises during the campaign that he was going to adopt a policy of no first use, he basically adopted a policy as, well, yes, we, we can use nuclear weapons on a first basis when we decide. We're not going to take any of our tools off the table. And that policy is one of complete nuclear madness. I also want to mention full-spectrum dominance. Does that ring a bell to anybody? So people in this room probably know what it is, but just very briefly, full-spectrum dominance is the established official policy of the U.S. foreign policy and military establishment, which is, in to put it very simply, it's that we will dominate all spaces and all other countries. And no, we will not allow competitors to emerge militarily or economically. So this goes a long way to explain why we've had this uh, gearing up of hostilities towards both Russia and to China. They are not allowed. You are not allowed to become a full player on your own terms. That's basically what's going on there. And this policy, it turns out, was actually declared. How far back does it go? It actually goes back to the breakup of the Soviet Union. 1991. In 1992, the Pentagon issued its formal policy, basically that it will not tolerate the emergence of new competitors in the region of the former Soviet Union or anywhere else. It will not tolerate uh, competitors that are hostile, and it also won't tolerate competitors among our allies. It actually said that. I mean, it's really incredible. If this was a person, you would be sending them to a social worker I wish they had such a thing, you know. The UN needs uh, social workers. And as part of that exercise in full-spectrum dominance, we have been basically undermining peace developments for a long, long time, for, for decades, actually, but uh, particularly in the conflict with Ukraine. And then the escalation towards the nuclear war, we have been the ones who have disrupted the treaties. The U.S. of A. is the one who essentially pulled out of and destroyed virtually every nuclear treaty. This 
is a big problem because when you have a lot of nuclear weapons and you don't have rules for how they're being used, it's very easy for people to panic when they think a nuclear weapon is approaching and to just trigger the response when it's not even warranted. But in truth, the real solution here is just get rid of the nuclear weapons, all of them. And that really goes hand in hand with getting rid of our empire and our incredibly hyper-aggressive military state. It's not just the war in Ukraine. It's the whole reliance on militarism as essentially the basis of our foreign policy. That has to end. And again, the bottom line is that this comes back to us to roost. The chickens come home here to roost. And what's happening in the climate is another case in point. So I won't say a lot more about that except that the last eight years on record have been the hottest years around. I'm only showing the Colorado River here because most of us are eating the uh, food that is produced thanks to the Colorado River, which supplies half of the fruits and vegetables for the entire United States. It is 75% depleted. It is well on its way to a critical threshold where the water will not flow. So expect famine to be coming to a neighborhood near you pretty soon. This isn't something we can just sit back and allow it to go on. Same thing with the collapse of the ice sheets, which is well underway. This year, for the first time ever, rain was observed falling on Greenland and also on the South Pole, on Antarctica. And who knows what happens to ice when water falls on ice. It greatly accelerates the melting. So I wouldn't put great stock in any assurance that, oh, don't worry, you know, massive sea level rises a long way off. I mean, it's, it's already well underway, and there are many countries who are paying the price in many forms. In Bangladesh, we've seen 33 million people have to get up and find a new place to live and a new source of food. 33 million, that's a third of the country. I mean, it's absolutely staggering. That's not from sea level rise, but that's just change in weather patterns and, and rain. So the climate has come home to roost. And I will mention 60% of animals, including mammals and reptiles, fish, and birds, are gone. 60% just since 1970. So it's really hard, I find, to put your hands around both what's happening with the war machine and what's happening with the climate. It's like my blood pressure goes through the roof to think about any one of these and then to think about both of them. It's just, it's just untenable. And it's really important to take that outrage that you get when you think about what the elites are doing to Mother Earth and humanity. It's really important that we target that into fighting because this is a fight we can win. And as Alice Walker said, the biggest way people give up power is, not, is by not knowing we have it to start with. We have it. In fact, peace is not just a good idea. It's actually the only way forward. So I'm going I'm to force myself to stop. One last thing. Just I want to show this picture because this so demonstrates the connection between war and climate. 
fossil fuels are, you know, they are the engine of war. So fossil fuel use goes way up. The military industrial complex is equivalent to like the 47th nation in the rank of fossil fuel emissions. So it's, it's substantial. It's not the whole nine yards, but it is a very important part of the puzzle here. It's not only the fossil fuels, it's also the destruction of habitat, toxic pollution, the diversion of resources from other critical needs. There are just so many ways that these things interact. Here you just see the, the graphic from a project at the Boston University on the interaction of climate and war, making the point that the military has been emitting basically 257 million cars worth of emissions. So that's a lot of stuff. It goes up. And here's one happening right now, or that just happened. This is the single biggest release of fossil fuels ever on record. That is the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipelines, which bubbled up as methane. You may know that methane is 80 times more powerful than CO2 in terms of its climate warming impacts. So this is just routine. I mean, this is what happens in war. And who could have done this? I don't know. Who possibly could have benefited from this? Well, what's the outcome? They're building 10 new LNG terminals, liquefied natural gas terminals, in order to replace what just got blown up mysteriously by someone we can't figure out who, but we are now building the replacement. Ten of these very destructive, very environmentally destructive terminals in the U.S. and ten terminals in the EU. And what does that mean? It's not only that more fossil fuels are being used, but it also means that a whole lot of new infrastructure is being built. So war is an end run around the limits and the climate cautions and things like that for the fossil fuel industry. War is a profiteering opportunity for both the fossil fuel and the weapons industry, and we're going to stop it. So with that, I just want to thank you all so much for being here and for carrying this, this incredible glorious fight forward. We are going to win, and it's wonderful to be on your team. Thank you. To bring us a fresh perspective on how this crisis and this war that's been imposed on all of us affects not just the people of Ukraine and Russia, but also affects the global south, we've invited an American journalist, writer, activist, who in his travels around the world has seen directly the plight, the plunder, the bloody hand of U.S. imperialism, whether it's in Ethiopia, whether it's in Haiti, wherever he goes, Eugene Perrier is often the voice of reason against empire.
Well, good afternoon, everyone. I'm very spirited here, so I'm sure you all feel well today, feel good. I'm happy to be here with you. You know, it was mentioned earlier that I, I came and my colleague Kay from Breakthrough News was with me from South Carolina. We got up at four this morning. We almost didn't make it. We had to run through the Charlotte airport. We might have pushed somebody out of the way. I don't know. We said we had a lot of apologies, though, many, many apologies. But we went to great lengths not to, and I don't say that just for you to say, you know, oh, wow, how sad. But to give you a sense that, you know, for the two of us, and you should have seen us on the way over here in the car, checking our phones, looking at it, trying to watch the thing. Is we going to miss it? Are we going to make it? What's going on with the traffic? What, who, who timed these lights? Uh, all these different questions. Because we were desperate. I feel, honestly, we were desperate to be here in this room alongside you to say that it's time to take the power back, to say that we're going to save the planet, not to destroy it that we're going to feed people, not starve them, and that we're going to end wars, not start them. You know, I, I think it's, it's critically important to, to reinforce before I get into my other remarks, you know, exactly what Manolo said, I don't know where he went a few speakers ago, but about the importance of people power. Because I think when you look to your right, when you look to your left, when you look later to see how many people watched on the live stream, when you talk to your friends and your family and your coworkers, who when you tell them about it, say they wish they were there, those are the people you can count on in the moments of crisis when the entire media propaganda machine is turned against you. You certainly can't count on any of the politicians. That's 100% sure. Not in America, not in Europe. They all ran in the other direction. When the going gets tough, the politicians start running. Now, if we have a million people on the street, the phone at the Answer Coalition will be ringing off the hook from the politicians who want to speak. But when you have to get something started, when you know that everyone is going to say that you're the worst thing that has ever happened, you're a genocide denier, you're a Putin puppet, you're paid, you're this, you're that, the people you can count on are the people of conscience, the working and oppressed people of the world who know what is right and are willing to stand up and be counted, and that is you in this room. And I just want to say something very particular about that, because, you know, in the game of U.S. politics, the two sides are always trying to find a way to, to get one up on the other one, you know, to think, let's see what level of discontent is out here uh, in the populace, and let's see if we can play on that a little bit, and we can, you know, maybe get a few votes here and there. Uh, some of us can remember, you know, in the, the Yugoslavia war, the Republicans they became very anti-war. They were against wars. So much so that George W. Bush, when he campaigned in the year 2000, said, I'm not a nation builder. We're not going to go abroad and do all these different wars. George W. Bush. What happened next? And what's happening next week when George W. Bush is speaking with Zelensky at the George W. Bush Library? So right now, when the Republicans are saying, oh, we're against Ukraine, Please. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, she wants to take the money going to Ukraine and send it to the southern border to kill Haitians and Guatemalans. Don't kill the white people, kill the brown people, and we'll all be fine. That's the nature of that two-faced opposition. So you can't rely on either of the major political parties in America, certainly not on the Labour Party or the Tory Party in the UK, not on the so-called socialist in Spain, not on the shameful Green Party of Germany that has turned its back on its history of opposing nuclear war that made it popular in the first place to become the most bloodthirsty warmongers in the European continent. 
So I'm proud to stand with you here today because I know that I can count on you and that we have each other's back and we're going to continue to grow and to build this movement. But, you know, when we look at the plight of the world today, I mean, it's amazing when you think about it. You know, we were in South Carolina, we were riding along, going from place to place, and the, the driver said, well, you know, at least gas prices are going down a little bit. And, you know, it made me reflect, knowing I'd be here in a few days, that, you know, from Sudan to Sri Lanka to Sao Paulo to South Carolina to the South Bronx, working class people and poor people on every corner of the globe are suffering from a massive cost of living crisis. And a cost of living crisis is not solely this war, but it's been so heavily exacerbated by the war, you can't separate it. Obviously, when we're talking about gas prices. Also, when we're talking about hunger, about famine, which has already been mentioned, the hundreds of millions of people. And those numbers, as any humanitarian agency will tell you, are always an undercount. They're always an undercount. We could have a billion people going hungry if we really get in the nooks and crannies of every place. You mentioned I was in Ethiopia. You know, you go to some of these back areas there that, you know, it's, there's not they're, not, they're barely connected to what's going on. But there are people who are there who are starving. They probably aren't being counted. So on every corner of the globe, this is happening. You are listening to journalist, author, and activist Eugene Perrier speaking at the conference, The Real Path to Peace in Ukraine. This is On the Ground. Now, back to the conference. And it was mentioned by Dr. Jill Stein very well that sanctions are playing such a key role in this. You know, you look at what's happening with the agricultural crisis now, and, and I'm you know, not going to quote all the numbers, but you look at some of these different pieces on fertilizers especially, which is a big piece that people forget. You're talking about right now, the crisis right now, but don't forget the crisis in fertilizers affects the crops next year. So it's not just right now. It's next year, and it could be the year after that. Largest ammonia pipeline is an important part of fertilizers in the world, which runs from Russia through Europe closed. Urea from Russia, which is a major part of fertilizer, 22% down the year, January to August. So even after the grain deal, we're still seeing it. And, you know, some of this can be replaced. And that's what a lot of the, the people criticizing this event might say. And I'm sure they're watching right now and typing it up so they can criticize me for not knowing what I'm talking about. And they say, oh, well, you know, Brazil... Yeah, they used to import a lot of wheat and fertilizer from Russia, but they replaced it from Canada. Well, the reality of this is it's not simply about the issue of the crops themselves. Can I get something from here and bring it over here? It's about the way the markets work. You want to know who's having a good year this year, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, I'll tell you that, where they're trading all these futures and commodities for all these foods, wheat and, uh, and the like. Because ultimately, these speculators, Wall Street extended, these speculators look at every possible crisis, every bit of volatility, and they jack up the prices. So you can get it if you can afford it. In Somalia, they can't afford it. In Sudan, they can't afford it. In Sri Lanka, they're, they're struggling to afford it. And thankfully for them, Russia has given them some of it for free and cheaply. So you've got this massive manipulation of the food markets, of the oil markets, which is going to get worse with this crazy scheme for an oil price cap in the start of December that even Citibank says sounds crazy, could introduce drastic chaos into the market. People who live in New York, you know what I'm talking about because you got the email from Con Ed saying your bill is guaranteed to go up 28 to 32 percent this winter. It's not just in Europe where people are going to be cold <laughs> because they can't pay. 
So we have this massive manipulation that's going on all because of the sanctions mainly, but also the war because they'll say, well, if it, if it turns this way, maybe Russia won't be able to do that. We're going to jack it up another $5. If it turns that way, well, maybe this isn't going to come out of some Ukrainian port. Jack it up another $15. So whatever they can do to make as much money as possible, and don't forget 54 cents out of every dollar of inflation is going to profits. So they don't have to raise the prices, but they want to because that's how they live, the suffering of others. That's that 1%, that chart. How do they get that 1%? Because everybody else is at the bottom. It's a direct connection. So we can see the impact of this war is, is so unbelievable on almost every person, really, who's not in that 1% in almost every part of the world. And it's an amazing scenario because despite that, and despite the fact that we're on the precipice of nuclear war, you know, the International Committee of the Red Cross said that there would be catastrophic humanitarian consequences from even a limited nuclear war, whatever that is. You know, the nuclear bombs they have now, I mean, you know, was, my father, many years ago, he went to Hiroshima not that long after the bombing. And I remember he told me that it stuck with him for the rest of his life because some people had been vaporized so quickly that their shadows were burned onto the wall. And the nuclear weapons they have now are 50 times stronger than that. You drop one of those on a major city. I looked at a map, actually, of what would happen in New York City the other day. Gone. This, gone. Forget it. Nuclear winter. Crops destroyed. Water poisoned. Hundreds, maybe thousands of years before you would even be able to, to do it. Talk about sowing salt in the soil. This is a million times worse than that. But despite the fact that the, the globe is staring down the barrel of millions being turned into ash, and if you want to know how close it is, look how quickly the U.S. calls Zelensky and said, whoa, about the Poland missile. And, you, that, and that tells you something about Zelensky and about the Ukrainian government. And I'm going to come, because to be honest with you, they had to have known what had happened. And instead of telling the truth, they went out of their way to try to create the basis by which Article 5 of NATO would be invoked, in which NATO would then go into Ukraine and fight Russia, and then we would be in a nuclear conflict. Deliberately. So despite the fact that the world is on the brink of existential nuclear crisis, catastrophe, world-ending consequences, despite the fact that tens, hundreds of millions of people are struggling to make it, 161 million people here in the United States have at least some trouble meeting their basic expenses week to week. 161 million, that number has grown by 24 million since March. And that's in the richest country of all countries. So imagine people who don't live here and how much they might be struggling. You know, in Sudan right now, they're saying, I saw a headline the other day that people are scared and hungry because not only do they, can they not afford the things they need now, but they don't know how much worse it's going to get. But despite that, we are told that we don't have the right to speak. All these internet trolls who came out had so many things to say about this event. It's so easy to talk tough online, isn't it? People posting, if you want to disrupt the event at the People's Forum, here's a video on how to do it. Well, if you want to disrupt, I'm here right now and I'm ready. <laughs> when do we have the right to speak? Can the people in Congo speak? How come no one is even talking about Congo right now? War going on there? War been going on for multiple decades. Maybe as many as 10 million people died. That never really makes the front page. Can the people who I saw when I was recently in Brazil 
on the side of the road, no food to eat, no money, no heat, no shelter? When does their voice get heard? When the guy who was driving us around in South Carolina is a retired person just trying to get a little change in his pocket, driving people around, having it all eaten up by gas prices, does he have the right to speak? And who are the people who are lecturing us? They say, well, well when are you going to let the Ukrainians speak? Well, I mean, Zelensky is on TV every day. <laughs> every organization on earth is breaking every rule. They say, oh, well, you can't speak virtually at the UN General Assembly except Zelensky. Oh, we're going to have a joint meeting of Congress where you can speak virtually. George Bush W Library, CBS, NBC, all of them, all day. And he's got a beautiful green screen. You've all seen it. He's a great actor. So, you know, they got a whole media setup. So I don't even know what they're talking about, but it's a little bit more pernicious than that. Because what do they really mean when they say you're not letting the Ukrainians speak? What they really mean is you're not letting the right Ukrainians speak. Because they don't want you to know that Zelensky banned every opposition political party. All the media was banned and put under one military command so you can only hear what they want you to hear. So they don't want those Ukrainians to speak. You know, they certainly don't want the trade unions to speak. You know, they banned the right to strike in Ukraine. At the same time, they took down the trade union laws to make it easier to exploit the workers and to sell the land to Europeans. I remember reading an article at the end of last year, and it was talking about this issue of the food crisis and whether or not Ukrainian farmers were going to be able to you know, harvest their crops and so on and so forth. It was a Reuters article. And the guy that was quoted in the Reuters article was a Dutch farmer who had come in and bought this land in Ukraine because under the past couple regimes from Poroshenko on, they've been selling off the land. They got rid of the old hangover from the Soviet era of, of, of not having that corporate agribusiness. And, you know, you can see the impact of that because some other Ukrainians they don't want to hear speak certainly are the Kananovich brothers, political prisoners who are most well known for standing up against these neoliberal laws like selling the land to the highest bidder, whether it's in the Netherlands or New York or wherever they're coming from, destroying the trade unions, impoverishing the people of Ukraine. And they have been tried as spies for daring to speak up about what's going on in their own country. So they don't want to hear from those Ukrainians either. The only Ukrainians you're allowed to hear from who are supposed to represent everyone else and get to determine what every country is allowed to do at any given time, whether you eat, whether you die, some, uh, somehow it has to come from somebody affiliated with this war drive, and that's considered legitimate. So it's not about letting Ukrainians speak. It's not about self-determination. It's about promoting war. And it's about keeping dissenting voices from entering into the conversation. I mean, how many people even know there are Ukrainians against the war? Basically, no one. So I think we have reached a, a really an unbelievable precipice here where we must act. And I think this is an extraordinarily important event. I think we'll all look back on it and think about how important it is. You know, you never really know exactly where you are in the stage of history. But I can say when you do something tough, I mean, many of us can remember we were standing up for Libya. Everyone said, you're crazy. And now everyone says, what a disaster. When we first stood up for Iraq, they said, well, you're paid by Saddam Hussein. And now they say, what a disaster. So it's always later that everybody comes along and says, yeah, you were right. But in the moments where it was tough to stand up, that is what kicked off the ability of other people who were understandably fearful of the onslaught on your reputation, your job, everything against you if you stand up against the war machine. And it takes other people to stand up and create the space for others to feel that they have strength 
that they have power, that definitely they're not crazy, and ultimately that they are not alone. So I just want to encourage, end by encouraging you to continue to stand up and continue to raise your voices. Don't be cowed. Don't be lectured by these warmongers. I certainly will not be. I'm not going to be lectured by people who would rather lift up the legacy of Nazi murderers than the legacy of the millions of Ukrainians who bravely fought to defeat the Nazi war machine. And I am absolutely not going to be lectured by the people who beat African students so they could ride their Jim Crow trains all the way into exile in Western Europe. And let's spare a word for the people who want to talk constantly about refugees. Every app I have said you want to donate to refugees. And I'm all for donating for refugees. I hope they're all living as well as they can coming from Ukraine. I'm all for that. But what about the refugees dying by the thousands in the Mediterranean Sea? Because all the people who say we love Ukraine, all these governments in Europe who say we love Ukraine, also say do everything possible to kill those Africans. They even say let's pay other countries to torture them. Have you seen what they do to Africans in Libya now? Have you seen what they used to give them jobs, money, and education? Now they're torturing them in dark chambers with electricity and everything else you could think of. So don't be lectured by those people. Don't be cowed by those people. Don't be pushed back by those people. You are right. They are wrong. Peace is our imperative. Peace is our challenge. There's a lot we're going to have to do to continue to push past this. I don't know. This is maybe a shameless plug. But uh, the work we do at Breakthrough News and, and other, you know, uh, media outlets... <laughs> We don't just do it randomly. We don't do it because we love to be accused of being a part of international conspiracies to destroy the world. You know, we, we do it because knowledge is power. You know, a book can be more powerful than a grenade if you use it, right? But people are deliberately starved and denied of the knowledge they need to take the action that can change the world. And we have to do everything we can, one-to-one, -one, two two-to-two, five-to-five, at the dinner table, on our independent media, I, I don't even know, just screaming out in the street, whatever we have to do, because these people have billions of dollars, hundreds of television channels, and they're doing everything possible to confuse people about what's really going on right now. So this is going to be a tough fight, a very difficult one. It's been difficult so far. I mean, anyone in here who's tried to talk about Ukraine with anybody who didn't agree with you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not like it was easy. You had to sort through about a thousand different layers of propaganda before you even got to the real issue. But if we do it together, we can win. If we stand side by side, we can win. If we aren't afraid to go where other people say we shouldn't go and talk to people, we can win. But we have to remember that this is really and truly an existential crisis for humanity. And as, as, as Dr. Chomsky also put out, he said, I'm sorry if these words sound hyperbolic. That's the thing that they make you think you're crazy. They say, well, how could this be the case? It is the case. And it's only by people standing up and saying it as loud as we possibly can that we can turn it around. But people power has defeated every terrible institution, regime you could ever imagine. Ever imagine. I mean, you think about the odds that people have gone through. 
Imagine Harriet Tubman running through the swamps with dogs chasing behind her after being up for 24 hours straight trying to take somebody and get them freedom to slavery. Now, most people said to her, why do you keep going back? Why would you do this? But she never stopped. And when the country caught up with her, she didn't say, okay, cool, I'm gonna go chill. No, she enlisted in the war effort and she led Union troops back into the South to defeat the slave owners in South Carolina. It's always darkest before the dawn, and I'm honored to be able to stand here with you. I'm honored to be able to stand here with these august panelists, and I'm very much looking forward to moving from this event to the next event to the next event until we win and get rid of the threat of nuclear war, get rid of the threat of hunger and famine, get rid of unemployment, get rid of every negative thing that we see out on the streets that drives us crazy. We can do it, we can do it together, and we'll do it if we're organized and if we're ready to win. And that's it for today's show. We heard from journalist and activist Eugene Perrier and before him, Dr. Jill Stein and activist Manolo de los Santos. Among the speakers at the conference, The Real Path to Peace in Ukraine held November 19th, 2022 at the People's Forum in New York City, sponsored by the People's Forum and the Answer Coalition. It kicked off a new anti-war movement in the United States to oppose the U.S. and NATO proxy war against Russia in Ukraine. For more information and a link to hear the full program, check out the People's Forum and the Answer Coalition online. This is On the Ground, voices of resistance from the nation's capital on two dozen stations on the Pacifica Radio Network and on all your podcast platforms at On the Ground with Esther Ivarum. Our website and archive of all of our shows is onthegroundshow.org. In addition, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and I also link to every show on my Instagram page at Esther underscore Ivarum. Special thank you to our supporters on Patreon.com at On The Ground Show. Our theme music for the show is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Ivarum. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace. <laughs>